We appreciate your presence here this morning. You know, we accomplish several objectives when we corporately worship as we are here today as a congregation. First, we praise God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and lift them up in adoration. Number two, we derive edification to our own benefit, as was mentioned in our prayer, that prepares us to better be a disciple of Christ. Number three, we encourage each other. The word fellowship is used in Scripture often, and it means joint participation. And we can apply that to what we do in corporate worship. It's very valuable to be here to encourage one another as we participate together with our fellow Christians, with Christ, and with God. So we want to thank you for making this assembly important and being here. If you're participating through Zoom this morning, we're also very thankful that you're connected with the service. This morning we want to cover the important subject of congregational evangelism. Congregation is defined as a local unit of the body of Christ. Evangelism is defined as a zealous advancement of the gospel of Christ. This morning as we begin our discussion, I want to share a parable with you. This parable was written by Theodore Weidel, and the parable is called A Life-Saving Station. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea and with no thought for themselves went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station, so it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time, money, and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, the little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was a symbolic lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had different colored skin, and some spoke a strange language. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck 
could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop this club's life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and they were a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. There were a few members that insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, only now most of the people drown. There's a very important message that we learn from this story. It portrays a danger that confronts disciples of Christ and congregations of the body of Christ. That danger is mission drift. Notice that this didn't happen immediately, but it happened over a period of time. And their mission that was so central to the very organization that was founded left their first love and went to something else. Today, we need to ask the question, are we evolving from a soul-saving station to a social club? Are there indications that we're more worried about looking internally on our own needs and wants rather than looking externally to the needs of those that are lost? Many religions are following this course that we see exemplified in this parable. Indeed, I tell you today that some that are called churches of Christ are on this very path. I want to ask you this morning, what should be our greatest priority in our service to God? We could answer that in a lot of different ways. We know one came and asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love God with every part of your being, the very depth of your person. And he said, the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This morning, I want to ask you, how do we exhibit the love that we have in our primary relationship with God? How did God demonstrate His love to us? He sent His Son, His only Son, as Callan thanked Him for this morning in the prayer. The way we exhibit our love is to God to obey commandments, to follow the example that we're given in God's Word. Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we understand that we show our love in that way. How do we show our love to our fellow man? We need to replicate exactly the way God shared His love with us and share Christ with our fellow man. To me, as we look at the great commandments, that we look at the essence of the book, the Bible, the, the book of love, the book of relationships, we can describe it in a lot of different ways. But the greatest priority that we see in the New Testament is to share Christ with others. And everything we do as a Christian is important. 
but there are certain things that should take a priority. The most significant and life-changing activity in the world is demonstrated in evangelists, in evangelism. I'm not speaking about this subject this morning because I feel like the congregation or any individual is failing in this effort that we need to put forth toward congregational evangelism, but I'm speaking to you to remind you because sometimes we need our minds re-centered on the priority, what the most important thing is. When we go through hard times, when we face obstacles, a lot of the time we let things of minimum importance become very important, and we lose our focus for where we need to be putting the priority, putting our emphasis and that being the purpose and the mission of who we are as disciples of Christ and who we need to be as a congregation of the body of Christ. How easy is it for us to allow convenience and social matters to negate our fervor for the mission of the church? Jason talked to us Wednesday night about Satan's devices, and I think that Satan understands that we're forgetful people, that we're excitable people, that sometimes we're not that stable, and if things change around us, sometimes we lose our balance, and we become tossed to and fro over different things that are physical in nature, and we often lose our uh, sight, our vision for those things that are spiritual. Satan seeks to defeat the mission of the church in this way. And if we drift away from the true purpose and from our first love, then we're not carrying forward the mission of God. We must all pull together to maximize the reach and the effectiveness of God's redemptive plan. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, we are told that God would have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. This is God's desire, His wish. As Christ came to this earth, He brought the will of the Father. And that will was for all people possible to be saved. We know that men are created creatures of free will, and we have a choice in that. But if it was up to God, He would have every person to be saved. And He's given us the tools, He's given us the information, He's given us the gift of Christ that makes it possible for every person to be saved. So as we begin to think about evangelism and the priority of it, we see that it is applicable to every person on this earth. Sometimes we make judgments about who's worthy to hear or who we might want to reach out to on behalf of the mission that we are setting forward as disciples. And we need to consider everyone as a possible candidate to receive the story of Jesus Christ. We should be single-minded regarding this issue. We need to gather beneath the shadow of the cross as we do each Sunday gathering around the table and consider what's been done for us and our heart, if it's a heart after God, will determine and propel us forward to share that blessing with all of those that we possibly can. Even in good times, we can experience mission creep. This can happen individually, it can happen congregationally, and again, no greater work is there 
than to bring souls to Christ through the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. If we dilute the priority of soul winning with other things, even things that we might consider good things, we are missing the mark. God has ordained the congregation with us as members as the organization that is best equipped to reach and gain lost souls. God has never given His people an inferior way to accomplish His will. God's message is superior. It's unique in that it will work at any time, in any place, across this globe. This is a sure testimony to the inspiration of the Scripture. God's perfect message will always hit its target. We remember the words that Isaiah penned in Isaiah chapter 55. He said, It will accomplish that which I please. It will not miss the mark. And we have to have faith to take this message and share it with those who need the benefits and the blessings of the Word of God. Most religious people of our day believe that we have to adjust the message. We have a so-called advanced society, and the old archaic Word of God just doesn't work anymore. We have to water it down. We have to dilute it. We have to enhance it with entertainment. We have to do all of these adjustments so people will listen. How arrogant to believe as humans that we're more qualified to set the message than God. I submit to you this morning that we have no authority to change the message. We do have flexibility in the method that we deliver the message because God has given us that and has ordained that we take opportunities and be flexible in the way that we carry the message, but we never, never change the message. If we change the message, then it will lose its effectiveness. Do you realize that the children of Israel cycled up and down 15 times in a 450-year period under the judges. They would be true to God. They would soon drift away and follow after idolatry. God would bring enemies to defeat them. And when they were at their low, they would cry again for God, and they would turn back to God. And then that cycle went over and over again. Do you think the prophets that were writing to the people of God ever stopped His message no matter what phase these people were in, the message continued. God's message is important. No matter what is going on around us in society, God's message will work. We can be successful in the endeavors of evangelism if we will take that message and send it forth to those who are in need of listening. The fact that people and society's ebb and flow does not change our duty in these areas. We can be 100% sure that God's Word will accomplish its purpose. Working individually is very important, and it's certainly a part of what is required. We'll talk more about what we can do, each and every one of us as individuals. But the key to implementing God's plan in its perfectness is for each member of the body to utilize their talent, their resources, and their opportunities as a team working together to accomplish the same goal. Words of Ephesians 4, chapter 16, show us that every member is critical if we are to succeed. 
Here we find the words from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What's under consideration here? The ideal congregation. And you go back to verse 11 and you learn about the roles of different uh, works within the church and how they are there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And you read on down, this is the middle part of this whole context. But he's talking about the increase of the body. I believe the increase numerically and spiritually. And he gives us the key of how the body is going to increase and grow when he tells us that every joint has a purpose. Each member has a job to do and needs to supply what it can give as a team to the effort that's being put forth by the congregation. These are beautiful words that describe the ideal congregation, and this is our pattern that we need to follow today. As elders, it's our responsibility to lead by example. We all know that Satan's going to throw obstacles in front of us. We normally have a spring work where we focus on community outreach. We were starting that work in March, and we got interrupted. In fact, we had to cancel that gospel meeting. We were not able to follow through with our purpose and our desire to focus on community evangelism and then to follow up with that for several months because of the environment around us. We normally have a July meeting, and that, the purpose of that meeting is to encourage the church from the young to the old, everyone encouraged to get closer to God, to be stronger. And as we fulfill that purpose, then we're better able to evangelize and take the story to others. Our July meeting got canceled. We normally, every two years, bring evangelists from India, and they stand before the congregation in the month of August, and they give an update about things that are going on in the field of evangelism in India. You know, India is suffering from this pandemic just like we are. They may be a, a month or so behind, but their condition there replicates to a very close degree what we faced here. So they were shut down and locked down. There was no possibility of having those visitors come. There was plans for Belize to send an evangelist here this summer to describe again the, the work in that field. Again, the pandemic stopped that. It was canceled. There was a plan for members of the church here to travel to Nigeria to, to get an update on what's going on there. That trip was canceled. You see, these things that we normally have to keep our minds focused on what's more important, a lot of these things have been taken away from us. Does that mean that we cannot operate and still perform the, the purpose and the mission of the church? Of course not. We still have many opportunities. When one door closes, God opens other doors. People are more receptive right now because of everything that's going on to listen to the message of Christ than probably they've been in, in a long time. Are we aware of that? Are we so confused and upset about things that affect our physical existence that we lose sight of our opportunities to carry forward 
the spiritual message. Our elders are responsible for creating a vision for the congregation, for communicating that vision to the congregation, and then for leading by example. And that's what I want to accomplish this morning in part, is to refresh your mind. I'm not telling you anything new. You know, Peter in 1 Peter, the first chapter, said, I'm going to remind you of some things that I know that you already know. And I'm doing it deliberately. Why did Peter do that? Because we have to be reminded. We have to be recentered. We have to be brought back to the things that should be the most important in our lives. We've talked about the identity that we should have in Christ repeatedly over the last few months. What is the identity of Christ? If we want that identity, we use that in a generic way. We have to look back at Christ. And we have to follow Him. We have to deny self, take up the cross. And we have to follow Christ, which means do what Christ does. Make important what Christ makes important. Make minimally important what Christ makes minimally important. And I believe that that's the, the key to us coming to the place that we need to be. You remember Peter, when he stepped out on the water to go to Christ, and as long as he stayed focused on Christ, he was strong. What happened when he started looking around him and he saw the storm and all the waves and all the negativity around him? He began to lose his faith and he began to sink. What do we do when we keep our eyes on Christ? No matter what the storm is, that's happening around us, we stay focused on Christ and we do what Christ would have us to do. We follow His example. We're going to keep our faith. We're going to remain centered in the things that we need to be doing as His disciples. But they began to drift away and losing sight of their most important theme of why they existed, they moved away from that. And that's why I think that we need to bring our minds back to the mission. As disciples, we need to be true ambassadors for Christ. And now is not the time to let up. We're going to come back to the vision of our congregation and more specific roles that we fill here to carry the, the vision forward. But first, I want to Look for a moment at the biblical foundation for evangelism. And we're just going to take a, a brief look at this. There's many, many more verses, many, many more ideas that we can present, but I think we need an overview about this. God's plan was not to inject His will straight into the mind of individuals, but rather He chose the medium of earthen vessels. And we're taught that in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, that the treasure is in earthen vessels. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, the Bible says that God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. This is God's plan. This evangelism that we're talking about is at the core of His redemptive scheme. Without someone taking the message, there is no way that people would be able to respond to what God's will is. Romans 10, 14, and 15. 
How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, it's very, very simple. God's will and the pattern of Scripture was to be taken by other human beings termed as preachers here. I think this would apply to teachers, those that are carrying the message forward in the work of evangelism. People cannot respond to something that they do not know. And it is us as disciples of Christ to carry this message forward. We can do that directly by teaching others. Verse 15 talks about the second role that we often play, and that is where we support others to go out and teach. And here it says, How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So there are two different basic categories of being evangelistic. Number one is what we can do directly by teaching others. Number two is when we support others that have those opportunities and open doors to go forward and teach the Word of God. Again, we need to be involved in both of these as much as we possibly can. If we minimize evangelism or neglect it with some other religious activity, as men often do, we are not biblical. What happens when a congregation begins to look only internally? They are not looking outward anymore, but they're thinking about themselves and what they need. People come to church to gain what they can get out of it, what their family can benefit from it, or what their friends can benefit. And those things are important. And we mentioned as we started, when we come together as a congregation and worship, we benefit individually. But where is our idea of looking outward? Unless a congregation looks outwardly and has a mind toward evangelism, we're going to be just like that life-saving station. We're going to implode eventually, and we're going to turn into a social setting and an entertainment setting and a place to get together with our friends, and we're going to lose the greater cause that, that we need to have. Certainly, we need to look internally. We need it individually. In time of crisis, in time of problem, we need to look internally and we need to apply God's Word there and we need to resolve a problem. If we have an internal problem in the congregation, we need to look internally. That's the first place we need to go and is to seek to resolve that problem and we need to give it our attention. But what happens when we get stuck there? What if we get stuck in pity individually and we never are able to look outward to the needs of others? And that applies as a congregation. Then we cannot carry forward the mission and the purpose of Christ. These selfish perspectives are against the teaching of Christ. We sang the song, let's be a servant like Christ. Does that mean we're looking at our own needs and, and wants and desires or does that mean we're looking out to serve others as our Savior gave us that example? Christ's stated mission, very, very clear. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. How much more simple can you get than that? We've already looked at God's places in the Bible, but I want to specifically think about 
Peter looking at Christ, and as long as he did, he kept his faith strong. And when he took his eyes off of that, he became weak. I want us to think about that this morning as we look at more words of Christ. What did Christ say was a priority? Let's look at Matthew 18, verses 12 and 13. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Remember that inward focus of a congregation? Is that what Christ taught here? He said he would leave the ninety and nine and he would go find the one. One percent got the priority in this parable. Because the ninety and nine were in the fold of Christ... And by the way, I want to be a sheep. Today, there's a lot of derogatory things being said about people being sheep. If we can't be a sheep under the shepherd of Jesus Christ, then we can't be His disciple. And we need to be a sheep, and we need to be in His fold. But what about the one that's out there that's not in His fold? Christ said we would go and save the one that is lost. Once again, consider the priority that Jesus gave evangelism when He spoke His great commission. These are very familiar verses, and I hope we won't just gloss over, but we'll look at these for the present and apply them to what we're talking about this morning. Christ said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I want to make four observations about the Great Commission this morning. The first one is the first word that's used in the passage, a two-letter word, the word go. That's an action word. And I will tell you this morning, we can't sit in our easy chair and follow this commandment. We can't lay in our bed and follow this commandment. Even more so, we can't sit in our pew at church and follow this commandment. It's important for us to be here in our pew. That's not my point, but the point is we have to go. We have to take this where the people need to hear it. And sometimes we have opportunities to preach the gospel in the assembly of the church. I'm not saying that. We raise people in the church that need to be taught the gospel. We have visitors that come in. But the greater majority of this work has to be done where people need to hear. And we cannot sit in our comfort zone and take the message that needs to be carried to those of the world. Number two observation, the scope of this assignment is global. Sometimes we get focused on what's right around us. We, we think about evangelism locally or regionally, but we need to think about it as a work throughout this globe. Another passage says, in all This commission is twofold. There's two phases to it. First, we're to teach and convert or baptize. And secondly, we're to teach to observe. People get mixed up about this. Some people will, 
will teach and baptize a convert, and then there's no more teaching. There's nothing there to bring them closer and closer to God where they can enjoy a home in heaven after a while. The goal is not just to initially make someone a child of God. The goal is to go the distance. And that's what we want for every member of this congregation, to receive teaching past the first principles once that's applicable so that you can be sanctified and, and have the right relationship with God for life. Some others take this idea and they say, people have to know everything there is to know about the doctrine of Christ before I'm going to baptize them. And again, that's in error to this process. We should take the gospel, we should take the first principles, we should give that to people and allow them the opportunity to observe that, to obey that and become children of God. And then we need to also follow up with the teaching that they need. Again, the only first century church. But notice here at the end of this passage, Christ promises to bless the work of the gospel throughout the remaining ages on the earth. How could it be just for the first century? I submit today that this is our commandment as disciples of Christ, and this commandment and this work order will stand until Christ returns and this earth is destroyed. These are important concepts that we need to understand. We've talked about vision. What is vision? That's where our eyes are. The question is, where are our eyes? We've already posed the question, what is that He has for us? He said in John 6, uh, 4, verse 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And I can't think about this verse without thinking about the cotton fields. A little bit later on in the season, as we get into the winter, the cotton's going to all open up and we drive down the highway and it just looks like a big cloud of white out there. And our eyes are drawn to that. That's where our vision goes when we are exposed to that. Well, think about that in a spiritual sense. Are we looking up? Christ said, get your eyes up. Look out there. Look at the harvest. He said, don't procrastinate. Don't put that off. Don't say there's another four months between before we need to do that. He said, do it now while the opportunity's there. We need to take heed, and we need to follow these words of Jesus Christ. The processes that He commanded and asked for, what preached it. And He showed us in every way how we are to carry the purpose of His kingdom forward. When alerted to those white fields, Christ said we need to pray. We need to take action. He said, but when He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Where was His heart, His compassion? He was looking outward to these people that the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that He will send forth laborers into His harvest. We're short on laborers. I believe we excel in a lot of ways in this congregation. We have 
a rotation of men that can get up and give very edifying lessons from the pulpit. We've worked on that. We've been from how that is that we as the church are edified. What are we doing to teach and train people to go out, to do personal work, to approach people individually and talk to them about Christ? This is something that we need laborers to do. I commend a group of young men that recently stated that they want to get equipped to be able to go do personal work. They want the tools, want to build them with laborers. We need to pray for laborers. We all need to participate at what level that we can in this activity. Every one of us can be aware and every one of us can pray. We've covered the first 15 books of Acts over the last 15 weeks. And I would say it's very, very apparent, apparent what the theme of Acts is. It's evangelism. They did everything. All of them did their part, but they didn't work alone. We read in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere speaking the gospel. Can you imagine being persecuted to the point that you had to leave your home? And then when that activity happened, you went out and you just continued to do what you'd been persecuted to do? There's no question of where their heart was, where their zeal lay, and the level of commitment. He now converted most of the town, including a witch doctor. And then God took him out of that group, that large group of people, and He conveyed him over to a single individual in the desert. Did God send His will directly to these people? No, He sent the earthen vessel. And we see that over and over and over again in the book of Acts. The disciples were everywhere preaching His Word. That's the hardest about that woman at the well from Samaria. Christ offered her living water. What did she do? Did she go take advantage of that herself and keep it to herself? The Bible says in John 4 verse 29 that she went into the city and she told all the men what she had found. There's the heart of evangelism. Those men went back to Christ and they interacted with Christ. And at the end of all that, there was a huge set of believers. So that part, are we looking for opportunities to do that? We need to be. The flesh seeks benefit for self while the Spirit always seeks to the good of others on behalf of God and Savior. I mentioned that we were going to cover some things before we quit this morning about what we can do to advance evangelism, what you can do as a member of this because people preach the gospel. There is a financial component to carrying the Word of God out to those that need to hear it. We're going to talk about three different types of evangelism, local, regionally, and internationally. And we're just going to touch some high points, but in every case, there's a financial component to this. When you give money on something that it's easy to forget our contribution, our congregation has not done that. Our congregation has continued to give throughout this whole period, and we've been able to, to keep our budget up as a congregation. When we give financial reports from time to time, we note that 70 to 80% of an annual budget 
is allocated toward evangelism. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that things like building maintenance and utilities, we need this building to function as a congregation that gives us a foundation to be evangelistic. We have benevolent work that we do. We respond to tragedies that individuals have, that congregations have. We mentioned a couple of those a few weeks ago that we've been able to do recently. And that's because people see those needs and they give of their resources on the environment where we can do spiritual work. Look at Christ. He was compassionate. He responded to the physical needs of people. He healed people. He gave them what they needed in that area. But there was always a component of something spiritual that came along with that. That was his goal. He didn't come to this earth to heal everyone that had a disease. He came here to seek and to save those that were lost spiritually. And again, we, we can observe priorities as we think about the way that, that we use our budget. So when you give of your means and you put it in the church treasury or in these boxes, you have a part in everything that the congregation is able to do to support evangelism and to forward the cause of Christ. And we need to keep that in mind. And again, I'm complimenting our congregation for the generosity in addition to what people put into the church treasury we have a good number of people that are giving directly to financial needs both locally and other places remote so it's not just through the treasury because of the generosity of people to give into our treasury we don't totally support these families in fact, a majority of these evangelists have support from many different places. We participate in that. And we are able not only to give them a regular support, but many times along the way, we're able to assist them with additional expense things that they need resources for. And again, that's made possible because the congregation is evangelistic-minded and people are willing to give of their resources. <coughs> We're also able to participate in three foreign works. <coughs> Nigeria, Belize, and India. These are very valuable works where the gospel is being preached and we had the opportunity to participate in that. As we said, as you give, it makes you part of all of the work that we support as a congregation. And this financial part is something that's involved, whether we're talking about work ourselves as individuals, and I think that's the pattern that God gives us. But it's, resources are still needed. But as we move into other things, things that... Maybe only a few can do, but things that everyone can do. Pray. Pray for evangelism. Pray for laborers to come into the harvest. What about living a righteous life that is a great influence in this community that allows us to go out and approach people about Christ? Do we have evangelism on our mind? Are we continually looking for opportunities? Whether we think we can do the teaching ourselves or whether we want to set something up for someone else to do. 
We can invite people to church. We can be deliberate to speak to people about spiritual things. We can practice being able to do that without it, it being awkward. We need to take every opportunity to open the Bible with others. And I think we do a good job of that, especially among ourselves. How often are we opening up the Bible with others that do not have the truth that is needed for them to respond and to be saved? We can help make them by being friendly to them, by getting off of our routine of the ones that we visit with every time and try to branch out and be hospitable. These are things that every one of us can do to enhance the ability of our congregation to be evangelistic. And we could list more, but we're going to leave that as the list for this morning. What about regionally? Congregations within driving range in the panhandle of Texas or within a 100-mile radius or whatever. We can pray for work in those areas. We can speak encouraging words. We can visit church assemblies. We can support gospel meetings in those areas. We have a group of men here that travel to different congregations and preach for those congregations, some on a monthly basis even. As we go there and preach, are we carrying this idea of the mission of the church wherever we go? Are we encouraging that so that others can benefit from having the mindset of evangelism? When we get remote away where we can't individually be involved, what is there that we can do? We mentioned the financial part, which is very important, but again, in every case, we're able to pray, to speak encouraging words. We can be aware. We can think about the work that's being done and feel a part of it because we're a member of this congregation that partially supports that work. These are things and attitudes that we can develop and will forward the mission that your elders have in mind for our congregation. The work of evangelizing and recovering lost souls is the most exciting and valuable activity in the whole world. There is no challenge or struggle that has the meaning and the eternal value of this work. I believe with true and proper vision, prayer, planning, and implementation, we can be successful in converting those who are lost. Yes, we can be successful today. Even today, as bad as we think it is, we can be successful. Each one of us can have a valuable part in this work. May God bless all of us in our endeavors to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We want to offer an invitation at this time. We've talked about the gospel and the importance of the gospel. What if you've never obeyed the gospel? You do not have the benefits of the blessings of being in Christ. You need those benefits in your life more now than ever. If you've been taught and you understand the gospel, don't procrastinate, don't put that off, but respond and obey the gospel. If you've not been taught the gospel and you have an interest in learning about that, let someone sit down with you and open the Bible and share the information that you need to know to obey God and to be a part of His kingdom. We would encourage those that would like to have the prayers of the church, 
along with those that might want to respond to the gospel, to please come forward as we stand and sing the song that has been selected.